Welcome to the Art Podcast. Our show features conversations with Canadian recording artists. In each episode, our host, Tressa Levasseur, explores how background, influences, and personal journey shape the creative process. Every show features two original songs by the guest artist, so stick around to hear some great music. Joining us today are Lisa and John from the award-winning duo Tomato Tomato from their home in St. John, New Brunswick. All right, welcome, John and Lisa. How are you feeling this day? We're doing well. Yeah, yeah I feel great. Okay, awesome. Uh, are you ready to just jump right in? Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay, super. So since there's two of you, this is really exciting. I'll probably just direct uh, each question to each of you individually. But if the other person wants to jump in, you do you. I know you're known for your engaging stage banter. <laughs> so I'm sure you can navigate a shared question. Okay, okay here we go. John, what is your first or your earliest memory of music okay so my earliest memory was being in my uncle's basement who now my uncle played in bands his whole life and probably when i was like four or five i went down his basement and it was just filled with old guitars and drums and keyboards and all this stuff and that is my first memory of just being I think I was probably hooked, actually, at that moment, just walking down there and being like, wow. And then he let me bang around on some stuff. And uh, I'd say that that is most likely my earliest musical memory. Um, Lisa, do you have an uncle's basement, a similar tale? I don't. My my earliest memories are a little more um, kind of choppy. Like I grew up with a piano in the living room, so I have a lot of memories of me tinkering around on that. Um, I also grew up with my parents who really enjoyed the oldies, like radio stations. So I grew up listening to a lot of that kind of 50s, early 60s music. And um, my early I also have an early memory of listening to Whitney Houston on our record player. And dancing around my living room and loving the song, How Will I Know? <laughs> if he really loves me. How will we know? How will I know? <laughs> we are still wondering. Um, <laughs> do you feel like your families listening to 50s and 60s oldies influence the music that you make? I would say, I'm going to say, yeah, I think for both of us. Yeah, 100%. So for me, other than my uncle who played in bands, um, Nobody else in my family is musical. Neither of my parents are. My dad is a huge music fan, uh, ma- massive fan. So I think that's kind of where his contribution came from. But yeah, he, neither he or my mom are really musical at all. Okay, I'm going to jump on what you just said, John. And I'm sure. going to ask you, if you were a kid, let's say you're like eight or nine, you're going on a trip with your dad somewhere in the car and he's got the, I'm going to assume tape player mm-hmm. might have been an a track probably not a cd player <laughs> what are the five tapes between the driver's seat and the passenger seat what is the playlist okay so he actually uh when i was a kid would make me all of these amazing mixtapes so that's what we would have been listening to and they were the beatles the beach boys uh i remember some kind of silly 50s kind of yeah campy stuff like uh yakety yak mm-hmm. and uh you know a lot of that kind of stuff uh definitely some buddy holly uh and also we randomly a different uncle actually 
recorded Thriller, copied Thriller onto a cassette tape for us. So we had that. I can still picture the brown cassette tape uh, with his handwriting on the <laughs> on the label on the liner. And uh, so that's yeah, it would have been a lot of mixtapes. I love that. I love that your grownups were making you mixtapes because I associate that so much personally with making them myself. What yeah. about you, Lisa? What's the what's on the on the dash in the in the Chevy Oldsmobile? What's in the early days? Um, well, That's actually the car my mom had. Oh, it's a Chevy Oldsmobile. <laughs> Just for the record, <laughs> I think my parents had a Toyota Camry. Um, I would say as far as like the early oldies kind of music that my parents were listening to, um, I specifically remember listening to that song, um, Oh Baby, That's What I Like, you know, she's got a pretty little walk and and the way I talk and the wiggle and yeah, like, I don't know, it's like a listy kind of song anyway. The Big Bopper. The Big Bopper, yeah, Yeah. I remember listening to that. Um, (laughs) And then speaking of making mixtapes... my brother would make me mixtapes and he listened to a lot more kind of like alternative rock kind of stuff. This would have been like late 80s, early 90s kind of stuff. Like The Cure would have been on it, 10,000 Maniacs, Red Hot Chili Peppers, like early Red Hot Chili Peppers. Um, lots of stuff like that. Uh, and it wasn't, it's funny, I I was just kind of like so hungry for music that I would listen to everything and memorize everything and learn every like harmony line of everything but really um I got really into Stevie Wonder and Motown and the blues and the Beatles and then my life kind of like changed and the way I listened to music changed and you know those are still kind of my favorite things to listen to today I would say like if I'm going to put on like a comfort album, <laughs> it would probably be Stevie Wonder or well, maybe Joni Mitchell. Don't we all just find comfort in his beautiful presence of love? And I know. This world. Um, listen, I'm just going to go a tiny bit over. We're still in childhood times. What, what was your learning journey with music? How'd you learn to play? Like, was it your uncle's basement? Was it the piano you were tinkling on in the living room? Were there lessons? Was it school choir? What was it? I can tell you exactly, actually. Yeah, so <laughs> I tried to learn guitar when I was... Okay, sorry. I started with piano lessons when I was six, but it was kinder piano, and my mom was taking night courses, so my dad had to take me, and it was all mums and daughters, and then me and my dad... And it was a lot of uh, dancing and dance over here and shake around on the treble clef and then dance over here. Sounds (laughs) perfect for you and your dad, John. So after the first (laughs) class, we would leave the house every day when we were supposed to go to the lesson and we would go down to McDonald's (laughs) and we would hang out for an hour (laughs) and then we would come home. And it wasn't until the flyer came out for the recital that we had to come clean with my mom. So (laughs) that I hadn't been going to any of the classes. So that was my first kind of failed attempt. Uh, then they decided to, uh, I borrowed one of my uncle's guitars to try and learn on, but I was still only six and it was a full size guitar and there was just no, it was a disaster. So then I learned, my mom was a school teacher and she had a weird little organ in the back of her classroom. And while I, I went to the same school that she taught at, so while I was waiting for her to be done for the day, I would just sit at it and learn melodies by ear. And then 
I joined the school band in grade five and started playing saxophone. Yes, because that was totally the on-point instrument of that era. Do you remember Rob oh. Lowe and St. Almost Fire? With his, like, mm-hmm. of course. no or like yeah. Huey Lewis. t-shirt. Totally, yeah, totally. The heat is on, that... Or old-time rock and roll. Yeah. I'm with you. Plus, there was probably quite a bit of sax on those Whitney Houston records that Lisa was listening to. Well, yeah. Saving all my love. Um, Lisa, what about you? What is your early learning journey? Um, well, uh, my my I took piano lessons from a wonderful lady named Bev. Um, and that was like my special time. Like I I don't know. I I would say my some of my best memories of my childhood are going to Bev's house. And I loved my lessons with her. And she had a little tiny poodle named Annie who would sit on the little armchair behind us. And she was just such a nice lady. Anyway, so I learned classical piano from Bev. And I did that until I would say I started when I was maybe in grade one or two. And then I took that until, oh, I want to say grade seven. So I was like, I could play the piano like in middle school. And then... um I switched over to voice lessons. I begged and begged and begged to take voice lessons. And um, I was also involved in any opportunity to be on a stage. Like I was in the choir, you know, as soon as I was old enough to be in any level, I was always kind of like a leader in the choir. Um, And I joined like just there were show choirs because I grew up in the Midwest. So I joined all the show choirs. I joined an improv group. I was in the school play, like just any opportunity to be on a stage. Um, I would take it. And um, but as far as music, yeah. So it was piano first and then it was voice. And um, I started competing in because, again, it's in the Midwest. So I started competing in these like solo and ensemble competitions. I was doing really well there. And um my voice training was was all classical as well. So I was studying um, Italian arias and musical, a little bit of musical theater. I was singing in German, French, Italian. Like I learned to sing in a lot of different languages. And um, anyway, it was it was great. Well, and I ended up going. It's to interesting the- because you, John, your your history is like it starts rock and roll. It's like skipping class. Like you have this this thing that's like edgy and you and your dad at mcdonald's like i'm your your uncle's basement (laughs) meanwhile lisa's like and i was in show (laughs) like totally different which Mm -hmm. gives me a lot of insight as to your stage show because there is this neat like balance of energies balance of approaches between the two of you that i i mean i think that those influences are actually pretty evident now that i think about it like currently evident i think Uh yeah it's interesting. That it is interesting. Yeah. For me, it was always like it was an obsession immediately. And yeah, because after I was playing saxophone in the band and I also I uh, I bought a bass guitar that I found an ad for in the newspaper. I bought it for, fi- for 50 bucks from this guy in a van <laughs> that came to our house. And I just remember going upstairs and just immediately learning uh, some CCR on it, actually. And uh and then I just kind of, somebody forgot a guitar at my house for a few weeks. And that's when I started learning to play guitar because it was just there. And it, that I was a little older at that point, so I could kind of manage it. And um, it was just kind of like whatever I could get my hands on. 
It's really interesting. Um, Lisa, I got a question specifically for you because I don't imagine, well, maybe John has an answer for this too, but was there ever a moment, do you recall any time in your school life where a guest performer or like you're at the theater competition and like there's a singing teacher there that blew your mind, some, some kind of like guest performer who was in town for a show came and did something at your school. Do you have any memories of anything like that? Um, I wish I did. I, my parents didn't take me to see live music, um, ever. And in fact, one of my, it's, I guess I do have one memory of that, but it's kind of a little different. Um, I remember going to a mall with my mother and there was a pianist playing in like Nordstrom or something. And it was around Christmas time and they had a live pianist playing and I was like completely mesmerized and that's what I wanted to do with my life. Like when I grew up, I, I was like, I want to be the piano player at Nordstrom because I had never seen, like my parents didn't take me to see music. So that was the only like live musician I had really seen playing. And I just thought it was amazing. And I, I, I thought that that's what I wanted to do. Um, you know, it wouldn't be the worst gig. But anyway, so that that was kind of like what I thought was possible was being the piano player at the mall. Um, <laughs> well, it's interesting because it's it's an unlikely place. And yet there's something about that that sparked this possibility in your mind. Like, oh, I could play music like in, yeah. in a space that I haven't thought of yet. That would be a thing that I could do when I was a grown up. Yeah. And I mean, I think John and I both, I mean, it's funny, we didn't grow up together, but in any way, but I think we both do have in common that it was like kind of always the path. Like I never, there was never a question of what I was going to like be when I grew up. I mean, obviously when you're like a really little kid, it's different, but you know, once I got to about middle school, the arts became everything. And I, like when, when everyone was trying to decide like what to do for university, what they wanted to major in and all that for me, it was always just like, of course, I'm going to go into music. It was just like there were no other options for me, really. Um, OK, let's press fast forward. We're going to fast forward past university and or the bar where I imagine John did not study classical music at university, <laughs> but I could be wrong. Well, so what's funny, though, is actually so. I, I did start in the school band and then I was also, I was playing, of course it was the nineties. So I was playing in a grunge band <laughs> as, as, you, as do. you do, <laughs> but I was also really dedicated to saxophone and jazz. So we both, we met in, uh, at the new England conservatory getting, yes, our... you have subverted my assumption. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so we met in jazz college. Yeah. Okay. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. It, jazz is like, the halfway point between musical theater and rock and roll. And where do you wind up? You wind up at jazz college. Of course you do. Isn't that funny? Um, okay, we're going to hop into this next chapter, okay. which is community engagement. So when I say the word workshop to you, musical workshop, what is your immediate response? My, oh, like my energy just goes like, yeah, sure. What do you want us to talk about? <laughs> Like I, I feel like we're both really um, kind of experienced in a lot of different things. And I think we can talk all day long about all kinds of stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think the things that have been most relevant 
recently for us are, you know, I've done songwriting workshops and Lisa's done percussion and washboard workshops, uh, which is what we've done that's been kind of associated with the group now. But previously, I mean, we've both taught at universities and so we've done... I mean, man. We could like really nerd out on some yeah. some music theory stuff, whether that be classical or jazz related. Um, we could talk about music history. I teach children. We could talk about, um, you know, like mental health, being musicians and kind of like mental growth, uh, kind of, you know, the, the approach to musicianship. We can talk about improvisation. We could talk about... Um, anything really i don't know yeah, I, we've I done would... a lot of different things over the years so when mm -hmm. we met in school and then we got jobs straight like we got our master's degrees and then we got jobs right away so we were teaching at saint of x when we were 24 something like that i think we had just turned 24 we were young I don't, i'm not sure how that happened but uh you're still young aren't you old? wasn't that only three years ago yeah. just kidding yeah that's right I, yes um, I, it was now that i think about it yeah. Three plus three plus three. Keep plus going. Maybe a few more. A few more. <laughs> uh, that's interesting to me because you're playing roots music, but you have a, an educational pedigree that maybe your average audience wouldn't know about you. Like, I don't think your average, I certainly didn't know that about you, and I've seen you on the scene for a long time, that you have both taught at the university level, that you're theory nerds, um, which I find fascinating. Can you paint me a picture? of a memorable festival workshop stage moment that you have been part of, or if you've never been part of a good one, which I highly doubt, one that you've seen that really blew you away. Well, I can tell you, uh, we've, de we've definitely done some great workshops. Um, one really clear memory that I have was at the Vancouver Folk Festival. And it wasn't, and actually we had just, we went out early and did a three-day songwriting workshop associated with the festival. And then as part of the festival, we had done like a songwriter circle. And I remember sitting on the stage and it was kind of facing out over the harbor. And there's a little yellow seaplane kind of circling and the mountains were in the background. And uh, it was just kind of like a magical hour. It was like 10 o'clock in the morning so things were still kind of fresh and uh I don't really remember what we performed or was it a duo about. it was like a duo stage or no there was a few of us that we were there the maze yeah we're there I know um, what you're talking about yeah that and, was fun uh, yeah anyway it was just like kind of a special hour because you get caught up in the the hectic touring schedule and that was part of a seven-week tour that we did that went to Australia and back and but that just that particular moment it just seemed very like we were there we had coffee it was peaceful it was just very chill and it was just kind of a really beautiful moment yeah it's amazing how those workshop stages come you you go to them and you're not entirely sure and then sometimes they can just conjure some kind of mood or energy that couldn't have happened in your own show couldn't have mm. happened in the other person's show but happens because of this melange of ingredients yeah, I mean, it really depends on the other artists that are on the stage with you. And like Marlon Williams was there with us for that one. And he's such a beautiful singer. Mm -hmm. And I think that was part of it. Like I was just listening to him and he has such a beautiful voice. And I was just like, wow, this is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so Lisa, what do you think makes for a really great workshop or a community event? Um, 
I think when all of the artists on stage are are kind of like open, you know, open to listening or maybe collaborating or just kind of even just open to appreciating each other, I think that that makes for us. I, I think people enjoy that kind of camaraderie. And it is a special time to be like sitting on a stage and not playing, but just like observing and kind of taking in what the other musicians are doing. I think it's a time that you could potentially get really inspired. And then in that moment, when it's your turn, because you were just inspired by the other musicians on the stage, you might just take a little bit of a different approach to the song that you end up playing. And I just think it like has this potential for things to kind of just kind of twist and turn maybe. Um, yeah. I think that's cool. And I, I also really think it's great when audience members are given the chance to participate in things. Like we did um, a really cool little washboard workshop where I just kind of taught some basics and we brought a bunch of washboards. This was in New Brunswick. and um, Handmade washboards handmade by my washboards. dad. Yeah. It was great though. Yeah. He found an old corrugated pipe out in the backyard and he was like, so I cut that pipe in half and I flattened it with my tractor. So I'm going to make you some washboards out of it. <laughs> so we brought them with us and um, it was great. And there was a little a kid who was probably like maybe 10 years old. And we invited, we kind of said, does anyone want to join us on stage? And, and he was he was like, I do. And it was his first time ever being on a stage. And we just kind of jammed and he was tipping and tapping away and he was just so happy. And I just thought like... That is such an honor to have given this child their first, like, experience up on a stage. And he was just grinning ear to ear like he had that adrenaline because everyone clapped for him. And, you know, it was just that there's a there's a lot of magic in that and in that um, potential to connect. You were his Nordstrom piano lady. <laughs> I was his Bev. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you were like, he, he suddenly, something new was possible in his life. Would you say that kids are the people that you're the most passionate about connecting with when it comes to workshops, community events? Or is there like another group of people that you all are really wanting to... I I don't I really mean, think about it. Kids are great. It seems like when we do walk workshops, it's the kids and then like the older folks. Who have, who have both arrived in a similar place of not really caring about what other people think. And uh, it's usually like whenever you do washboard workshops, there's usually a couple older ladies who will show up and they are keen. Yeah, And they've picked keen. out some thimbles and they've got their own washboard and they're like ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> so that's always fun. Huh. That's really uh, fascinating. You've answered a bunch of questions from this section, even just like the conversation has guided itself in that way much in the same way that a good festival workshop does <laughs> um let's move on to artistic practice and influence uh influences and, and vision your artistic vision so, so how old were you maybe this is a weird question uh when did you write and perform your first song like your own material i'm gonna go first okay um i I think I wrote my own piece of music in high school. I took um, a harmony and arranging class. There were four computers that had music notation software on them. And anyway, we had all these assignments and I was writing music. And that was the first time that my music was 
just from my brain, you know, writing it, using all of the kind of harmony and arranging things I had learned. And <laughs> I don't know. It was really, really cool. I do specifically remember writing a theme and variation to Oh Susanna. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't have access to that kind of stuff. Uh, <laughs> my first song would have been in grade 10. We were writing some of our own music, and there's still some demo tapes floating around. I'm slowly trying to find them and destroy them, but <laughs> they're out there. Uh, so it would have been grade 10 for me with my uh, with my my band of friends. With your grunge band? What was your grunge band's name? It's called Plato Fish. <laughs> yeah, it was. Mm -hmm. um, how have your identities, your lived identities, whatever they might be, influenced your songwriting? I would say um, I, I identify with being a vocalist. And so a lot of the songs that I'm drawn to, a lot of the things that I would be inspired to write or perform, they kind of all are very voice heavy, I would say. Like everything that I like to listen to, there's a lot of harmony, there's a lot of like kind of vocal prowess. Um, Oh, what <laughs> vocal prowess yeah I like good <laughs> I, well, I like that because it ties into what you were saying about like any opportunity to, to perform so you have an identity that is very performer based and it's also like you talk about being from the midwest so there's and being in competitions there's a certain showmanship or performance performer vibe that only performers bring to songwriting that that like guys who play drums in the garage they don't bring that same thing so how has your history of being a performer influenced the way that you write songs in particular um I mean to be honest I don't really write a lot of songs John writes all of our music and I I have written a lot of music in, when I was like studying and I and composition was part of what I was studying so I had a lot of assignments and I like wrote a lot of music every day I and especially as a jazz musician I would write a lot of music to perform um but that was like a different chapter of my life and my writing was like not at all relevant to what we do now really and again it was all kind of vocal you know at that time I was um kind of on this journey of being um, a jazz singer who is functioning instrumentally, like in a larger ensemble and not necessarily singing any lyrics at all and just kind of functioning as another horn, another melodic instrument that might be doubling melodies or just doing a lot of like non-lyric ethereal singing. So kind of ambient. I, I don't know. So again, it was it was like vocal focused, but it wasn't actually even lyric singing. Huh. And what about you, John? How does your how does your journey influence your songwriting? Yeah, well, it's funny because for me it was also so when I went to college, it was all instrumental, it was all jazz, and I was doing a lot of writing for big band and different kinds of ensembles. Um, so that was a different headspace. And then when we we kind of moved all around, like we lived in Miami and Boston and Chicago for a bit and Iowa and then we moved back to the Maritimes and that's when I started writing songs with lyrics. And so that was all totally new for me, something I, I hadn't written lyrics since the 90s and I'm not really sure what I was doing when I was writing those. <laughs> they weren't they weren't well crafted, we'll leave it at that. Um, 
so yeah, I really kind of learned from scratch in that way for this group. Um, in terms of how my relationship with music affects my writing, I think I'm relatively detached from what's going on in the world. Uh, I'm not on social media. I kind of, I mean, I was the I was in seventh grade and I was obsessed with Charlie Parker. Like I kind of was never doing what anyone else was doing, uh, or conscious of what anyone else was doing. And I'm that's I'm still kind of there. <laughs> so I just kind of do my own thing. I'm not really worried about how what I'm writing is fitting in with the industry or current trends. Uh, mostly because I'm, I'm a little bit unaware of what's going on with all of those things. Uh, Happily unaware. Yeah. Huh, that's really that's really interesting. Like you're you're and you're writing for a project that's two people. Like you're writing for a group with a very particular. A lot of people come to writing from a personal place where they need to get their story out, right? And it sounds like your journey is just a different a different one from that. Yeah, I mean, it, there's definitely some of our stories in the writing for sure. Um, How do you choose which songs? make it to the stage, make it to the album from the ones that you write. <laughs> well, I always, so the writing of the album takes about a year for me and I just kind of write a couple songs a week. So, you know, there's usually about 50 songs to choose from. Um, and I start just going through the ones that I can bear <laughs> at all. <laughs> the thought of performing in front of anyone and then, it's just a pretty intuitive thing. Like whatever makes us happy to perform is what we're going to do. So that's how we eliminate. Lisa, where do you come into that selection process of the material that makes it on stage? Um, I just say, you know, it's, it's kind of like John said, it is really intuitive. Like we, there are certain songs that we just really enjoy playing together more than others. You know, when you get excited about playing a song or, or the opposite, if you're like, Hey, let's play this. And both people are like, uh, okay. <laughs> you know, we should, I guess we should run that one too, you know, but neither of us are like excited to play it. I think that that, it, um, kind of speaks volumes and we, we listen to that kind of inner voice and that in intuition telling us like you know if this isn't making us that happy to play then like how could we expect anyone else to enjoy it you know because they're like essentially a mirror of our energy right so if we're not enjoying ourselves why would our audiences be enjoying themselves um yeah and you all, I usually play about half the songs for you that i write yeah some I, of them, some of them got, might you've got your own trash can already yeah, I've already, is... yeah, I've already trimmed he's the like, fat. <laughs> yeah, he vets, he vets it all out and then like he'll show it to me and then I'll <laughs> annoyingly uh, like immediately kind of start like harmonizing with it. And he's like, it's not even done. Like I haven't even finished <laughs> showing it to you, but I just like kind of jump <laughs> like, in. You don't even know the lyrics. I know. <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I just like, it's just what I do. But sometimes that annoying thing that I do is kind of the thing that solidifies it, it 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 brings it to that point where we're like oh this this actually sounds really good together and it's kind of like that little extra thing where we're like okay this one's going to be a keeper and then it kind of has to fit what we do and then make sense you know and then it gets it might get down to the point where there's 20 or so and some that just don't feel like that's cool but it just doesn't feel like a fit for this group and then, then it comes down to what makes sense on the album as a whole. Right. Um, 
I really love that answer. Uh, and in a way, I'm kind of envious of, um, as a person who wrote songs on my own, I never really had that mirror or that person to like just intuitively be like, eh, you know, that it's it was a much lonelier. I I, I think that's yeah. very beautiful that you have this shared um, vision or shared something inner voice. It is really helpful as a songwriter to be able to bounce things off someone. And although you tend to be overly positive, and I'm always like, come on. She's like, it's great. And I'm like, really? <laughs> is it He's, really? You know yeah. what, though? She, she knows that you already have 20 in the garbage. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you've already been. Okay. Complete flip. Before we move into the fun questions, what is a piece of career advice? And this is for each of you to answer. What is a per- piece of career advice that you have received that you have never forgotten? Hmm. That's a good question. I mean, I have lots of like little nuggets of wisdom that have been given to me that aren't necessarily like career, but they're just like maybe musical or... Sure, a nugget of musical wisdom that you've been given that you've never forgotten. I'll tell you, you know, I want... Music school can be a little bit intense. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. And um, at one point we had... um, When we were teaching at a university, we brought in one of our former professors to be a guest artist and perform with us. And we did like a kind of a faculty performance for everybody. And it was really fun. And anyway, at the end of the night, I was kind of feeling a little bit down. And my my former teacher looked at me and he said, what's wrong? You didn't like how you sounded? And I said, yeah. And he goes, well, then get better. <laughs> I was like, okay, <laughs> I do need to get better. Um, pretty straightforward I know I like it though like I it's not personal it's it's just it is it's very straightforward and I also had um I had it's funny because I don't battle this at all anymore but I had at one point a lot of kind of anxiety about improvising and performing and my my teacher at the time was so patient with me and she gave me this like hour long lesson on like relaxation techniques and recommended all these books. And I was like meditating and I was just trying all this stuff to like kind of get out of my own head. And then, and then at at the next, you know, session at the end of the hour, she goes, you know, you really just have to get over it. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, that's brilliant. Like, she's so right. You know, like you can do all of these things, but like at the end of the day, just get over it move on you know like it's I I don't know those two it's funny because they both you know were profs at the same school but um those two little nuggets have always stuck with me in terms of music you know what about you John you got a you got a nugget of wisdom oh man I'm trying to think of one that is not just specifically musical um yeah the only thing (laughs) I can think about as something that I, I consistently come back to because uh, I tend to try and not overthink things and just be somewhat intuitive with like musical stuff and life decisions for better or worse. Um, and I, I was actually taking a Tai Chi class years ago in Miami and I don't know why we were talking about it, but the teacher was just like, you know, when there's doubt, there's no doubt. He's like, if you're making excuses and doubting your action, he's like, there's no doubt. Don't do it. Like, just stop whatever you're doing and make a change. And I was like, oh, yeah. 
Like if you're writing a song and you're like, ah, I don't know, maybe it's like, you're done. Trash It's can. not happening. Move on. Huh. <laughs> when there's doubt, there's no doubt. That's, yeah. I really love it. I mean, and you can apply that to anything. I, I For a while, I applied a lot when you were trying on clothes because there'd always be the clothes that were bought and then would sit in the closet. And she'd be like, do I need this? And I was like, if there's doubt, there's no doubt. <laughs> Toss it out. Um, I love that piece of advice. That's that's fabulous. Uh, it's a good one. It's simple. Simple, but it also is catchy. Like like the because well, we all songs. get in, we all get into that mindset where you like you want something to work out. You want this song to be something special, and you start creating a narrative around it. Like, oh well, I think it is because of this and that. But you're kind of just fooling yourself. So it's like when you get into that mindset, like you know, like uh, just move on. I have an, another little nugget that was given to me very recently, but it was not in relation to music. It was in relation to a workout I was doing because <laughs> I work out a lot. And um, one of my coaches could see that I was like mentally struggling. And he said, uh, he said, let your muscles in your body do what it knows how to do when your heart isn't into it, isn't in it. I was like that's a keeper. That's really smart. <laughs> and I, I do feel like that I could apply that to many other aspects of my life when you kind of need to be pushing through something and you almost just have to make yourself go on autopilot. 39th night of tour. You're exhausted. Exactly. You have allergies. The billet that you were at the night before had 18 cats. You hate cats. And you have to get up on stage and you have to mean every word of it. Yep. That's muscle memory. That's yeah. like you rely on something else that you already know. You rely on your inner knowing. That's right. Yeah. We talk, yeah, we talk a lot about, well, this started <laughs> when you were pregnant, uh, but you would always say like, I can do anything for a minute. Yeah. And we kind of adopt, adapted that into like uh, learning to hit the reset button. So if you've traveled and you're jet lagged and whatever, and you step on stage, we just kind of got good at like, okay, so we're just hitting the reset button. We're fresh starting now. Yeah. None of that has happened. And here we go. Like people are strong and resilient and like we can do really hard things. And um, yeah, that that you can do anything for a minute mentality was, was my <laughs> kind of mantra going into labor and delivery. That's what I was like thinking because like contraction is literally one minute. And I was like, okay, it's one minute of my life. You can do anything for a minute. It's, you know, grand scheme of things. So, so yeah, that kind of idea of just taking it minute by minute, reset button, like it's, you're just fresh, you know, just, and it, and it helps you just remain present. Otherwise, you're just constantly thinking about all of the hard things that happened like before this moment. And those things are already done. You already got them over with. So let's just move on, you know. I have loved learning about you and getting to know you in this in this awesome interview. We are wrapping up towards the end. We, but I, I would like to extend with Tim's permission. Tim is our intrepid engineer. Clap everyone for him. Um, one fun question. I'm going to give you both the same question, which is, what is an unknown or hidden talent that the other person has that you think the world should know about? 
Hmm. Oh, that the other person has? Yeah. Like what, what is John's hidden talent that none of us know? Oh, okay. Cool. I'm only asking because you're a duo. I, everybody else has to answer for themselves, but I think it's fun to answer for somebody else. That is fun. <laughs> I feel like I have a lot to choose from. You're so good mm. at so many things. Uh, of course. Yeah. What? Oh, go ahead. I can like list them off. I can just like list things that you're good at. You're John. Top five. Go for it. Top five. Okay. He's a really good cook. Um, he can teach himself to build literally anything, like with no prior knowledge, whether it's electrical, woodworking, like anything. He can do anything. Um, he can. You're really strong. He can lift heavy stuff. <laughs> Oh really God. strong um fantastic best dad on earth uh to our daughter those are four I, things i you know what i love those four things okay <laughs> great teammate uh kent john one hidden talent or something that we should know about lisa that we might not already know one hidden talent so this is only kind of hidden <laughs> Uh, she is extremely fit and a really great CrossFitter and she's very dedicated and does that all the time. And if you follow and so follow us on social media, you would know that. And sometimes wonder if we were actually a band. Uh, <laughs> we were in a pandemic. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think that's maybe a, a talent people wouldn't necessarily guess that, mm -hmm. that you have. I wouldn't have guessed that. It takes a lot of dedication to do CrossFit. Your W O T, your WOD, your W O D. <laughs> my WOD is this interview. That's it. This is my workout of the day. After this, it's just wine and books for the rest of the day. <laughs> um, thank you so much, both of you, for this fabulous interview. Have I missed anything? Is there any anything you thought? Oh, we'll definitely talk about this today that we haven't talked about. No, not no. really. Felt it was like really we covered fun. a lot. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. This uh, now I can tell you this was the first one. Ah, yay! Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was really I, I really enjoyed going on that journey with you. I learned a lot about you, and I now when I see you at a conference or festival, we're gonna have so much to talk about. Totally, for sure. Jump right in. You can skip the whole backstory. Yeah, you got it. I love it. This we'll was get a your great. Backstory, These actually. are great <laughs> questions. Like you really kind of led everything in a perfect way, and yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you for being guests on this awesome show. High fives. Sitting at the counter bowing our heads, praying over eggs. Sunday blues were hit hard, rattled us like chains. Shaking two packs of sweet love, she's beating back the devil. I spoke before she drained her cup, she's the cane and I'd be able. Stakes were low, we never checked the weather. Laying fed, constructed dreams, the wilder the better. Time slipped out when we hit snoo, never seen again. Now we're staring at an empty fridge, our wits have met their end, but it'll come around. It'll come around. It'll come around. Karate chop across the back of my neck Snuck into work an hour late 
getting behind my desk. Back at home, she was drinking a beer just to take off the edge. Cutting lotto tickets into paper dolls, tearing off their heads, but it'll come around. It'll come around. It'll come around. It'll come around. It's a long, long game. Don't you get up tired? Like taps, we begin to walk. Made wrong turns on purpose just to get a little off. Found a park the world forgot, rides rusted in their tracks. Tossed a coin into a fountain, made a wish to have it back. But it'll come around, it'll come around, it'll come around. Thanks for listening to the ARC podcast. If you'd like to know more about today's guest, please take a look at our show notes. Our producer and engineer is Tim Frazier of Murdoch Entertainment. Our host is Tressa Levasseur. Thanks to the Canada Council for the Arts for making this podcast possible. And thanks to you for tuning in.